This is Mission.org. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Nate Skinner, Vice President of Product Marketing for Salesforce B2B Marketing. On this episode, Ian and Lauren sat down with Nate to discuss how to create memorable marketing experiences. They also discuss how this relates to technologies like artificial intelligence, marketing automation, and augmented reality. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. I have to my right in studio, Lauren Vaccarella. What's going on? Not much. Super excited to be here today, Ian. I have an old friend for you in studio, somebody you worked with. Can you guess who it is? Hmm. Is it Nate Skinner? It is indeed. Amazing. Nate, what's going on? Good to be here. All right. So we have a wonderful show. We're going to talk about Nate's background, what the fun things that we got going on at Pardot. And we have some story time with Lauren and Nate, where they're going to tell some old Salesforce stories from back in the day. So let's get into it. How'd you get into marketing? Uh, Actually, that's a great question. It was 2009. A friend of mine that worked at Salesforce named Matt Benetti, still there, a longtime Salesforce guy. He and I worked together at a software company many years before that. I saw new Salesforce, loved the company, wanted to get into the company, and Matt was hiring a product marketing role to run competitive. I reached out to Matt. We had a conversation. This was my first marketing job. Interestingly, though, I didn't ever want to be a marketer. I just wanted to work at Salesforce, and the job they offered me was marketing. So it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Small, a butterfly's wings. So wait, what was competitive? To describe like what that kind of role entailed. Yeah, I mean, our job was really understand what the landscape of technology vendors in our space were doing, both with their products and their technology, their roadmaps, et cetera. How are they positioning themselves? What was their message? Taking that, synthesizing it for our internal teams, product and sales teams, as well as like customer service and you know everyone in the company to understand when we talk about ourselves this is how they're talking about themselves and it help inform the product roadmap and the way we were thinking about our positioning. You know, it's really interesting because I think, you know, I, I think that there's kind of like one school of thought where it's kind of like, don't worry about the competitors and just do what you guys do. And then there's the other school of thought that's, you should be really worried about how they're positioning in your space. What, what side do you do? You, are you on the fence or are you on both sides of the fence, as they say? No, I think you have to pay attention. I, I wouldn't say worry. So when you, the comment of like, do you worry about what the competitors are doing versus understand what they're doing? I definitely think anyone in this business should keep their eyes on the, on the peripheral, but not worry about it, you know, understand what they're saying, understand what they're doing. It's actually a great AB test, right, Lauren? Like to just say, here, here's our top three competitors. How do they say, talk about themselves? How does that compare to the way we talk about ourselves? It's a good test just to see if you're even close, right? Absolutely. And then you also get to see the or other what I've seen it was funny at a, another company that I worked at when we looked at one of our competitors keynotes at their user conference I remember sitting there going oh that was our product roadmap two years ago <laughs> got him <'em. laughs> exactly 
like then that's always a good feeling too right it's in other words it's what we're doing it's working it's clearly having an impact on them so i think you keep your eye on it i don't think you have to you should worry about it absolutely and the um a couple of things that I always remembered at Salesforce, and a lot of this was really from Nate when he was in the competitive role, is the uh, don't ever, don't ever fight down. Yeah. If your competitor is smaller than you, yep. Never fight down. Always fight up. They actually do not exist. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it takes away from who you are yeah. if you acknowledge your small competitors. Right. So yeah, how do you? I mean, from theory to practicality, how do you do that? I mean, because I've seen, I've seen decks where there is this is how you switch from blank to blank. So if like you're switching from one thing to another and you're helping them through that, there's some amount of like in the sales process you're doing that. But do you mean that from a marketing perspective? Like, I mean, from my perspective, that ex we're doing, a, we have a campaign right now we're running with our customers where we're talking about moving from other platforms to a marketing automation platform, Pardot. Why would you do that? And it's not about the competitors at all. It's that this transition will change your life and here's how, Yeah. right? Actually, going back in the Christopher Lockheed episode, where it's like, what's the, what's the connection you're making with people, and is it different? And is it, is it different? Is like the most important thing. So even in that case, it was yes, it's kind of a competitive campaign, but actually, we're serving our customers. You should know that lifting out of this place and coming over to this place, a isn't as hard as you think. B, there's benefits to be had. You know, we in a previous episode that has not aired yet. We were talking about how great the number one CRM campaign has been that it's like every year and it's great when you continue widening the gap, right? Yeah. But it's like that image has done, I mean, good, how many millions and millions of impressions has that image done on all sorts of different ads, but it buries that in the, in the buyer's mind that it's like, if you're going to go with the CRM, you need to go with the number one because it's yeah. been number one for a decade or whatever. And what was the, I think it might've been the Christopher Lockheed episode where he talked, it, it was, oh no, it was Matt Trefurio. Oh yeah. When he talked about if the minute you think the customers are tired of your message is probably when it's finally working. Completely. It's the, we forget as marketers that because we hear the message all day, every day, it's in every email, it's all the time. We get so tired of it, but it's like, no, no, our customers aren't sitting in this room hearing this all day. They've only heard it three times. You've heard it 300 times. I mean, you're right. That that starts to get sticky because it's repeated over and over again. It's not tired. It's actually starting to work. Yep. And just when we think it's a little boring or something, right? We have a great customer called Inside View, actually just down the street from here. Tracy Eiler, the CMO there, is amazing leader. She's like written the book on sales and marketing alignment and literally wrote a book on sales and marketing alignment. And we, our product and our, our solution is all about sales and marketing alignment. But most people in our space think that's a bored and tired message. And I'm like, uh, have you talked to a sales and marketing leader? I was just yes. going to say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? It is. I don't know a single sales or marketing leader that doesn't think about that. <laughs> exactly. It's a real, real problem. So we may think we've been saying that for a long time. The truth is, it needs to be said more over and over and over again. And then we need to solve, connect our solution to that problem. You know, one of the things that we want to kind of go deep on today is this idea of like experiential marketing or experience marketing and what I would kind of refer to as remarkable marketing, like things that you actually want to talk about with other human beings. You know, we ask a question in the lightning round, as you know, <laughs> um, as someone who, who listens to the podcast that what's your favorite ad? And I mean, we get blank silence all the time because 
ads just aren't really memorable anymore. Like nobody is turning on the TV if they even have a TV, if they're not, you know, a cord cutter or whatever to like tune in for ads. Nobody's doing that. I mean, maybe, maybe the Super Bowl and that's about it. So how do you think that marketers can create and sell memorable experiences? And then ultimately we'll get into how do you track that? How do you use analytics and AI and all those sort of things to be able to sell to whether it's a group for ABM or individuals? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to start with exactly what the outcome is that you're looking for. Actually, let's backing up from that. I'd say the first thing to create memorable marketing experiences is like, who are you and who are you for? Mm -hmm. Like if you don't figure that out and have it nice and tight and succinct, then no amount of emotional kind of paint by numbers in the world is going to help you deliver on that message to an audience because you, you're confusing the message in the first place. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to startups or VCs or done a marketing talk where it is the first thing you need to do, you need to do is who is your target audience? Who did you build this product for? What problem are you solving? And what is your messaging? If right. you don't, if you don't know in 10 words who your product is for and what problem it's solving, stop what stop. you're doing. Yeah. Go back and figure that out. Because if you know this is who this product is for, this is what problem we're solving, then it makes marketing so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And if we go to your website and I look at it for five seconds and I still don't know exactly what it is you do or what I can buy from you, you're doing it wrong. You, you've like, already failed. Yeah. So, but if you do that right, then the creative parts, the product teams, the marketing team, the ad agency you use, the, the PR agency you talk with, they're all going to see it as clearly as you do. And then the the juices will flow and the activation of the parts of your brain that help you be creative to do amazing things like this Gillette ad, you, the Gillette yeah. ad. I mean, that's... I can, that's a remarkable ad. That's I, for sure. That and the Colin Kaepernick ad are probably the two of the past five years. That stand out. Yeah. yeah. And I love those ads. And I read a, a really interesting take on it was if you go back to why my guess, my gut, and what I read on why they're doing it is... Who is their target audience? Their target audience right now for Gillette to be competitive in that space. You have all these people doing Dollar Shave Club or Harry's. This is where millennials are. Gillette and also Nike have realized the key for their continued long-term success is going to be the millennial buyer. What do millennials care about? Companies that care and they want to buy from companies that care. So both Gillette and Nike are saying, we are going to make a real investment in making sure this sort of millennial male buyer is on board with us. And we know that this is something they care about. And also, it is a very good positive message. Yeah. But, you know, back to your question. I mean, if you're at Gillette and you can't describe that mission the way mm -hmm. you just described it, then none, that ad never happens. Mm -hmm. Like, just not going to happen. And the other thing, too, is like, it's not only remarkable as like it spurs conversation. I think that's like, that's such a critical part of this where if it's just serving up a conversation starter to people, like that's inherently valuable. Just having the conversation about, you know, boys will be boys is a valuable thing in and of itself. But you also get all of the backlash stuff, which is great PR too. The guy who like put his razor in his toilet and then somebody's <laughs> like, you realize you just owned yourself because you have to reach back into your toilet because you can't flush a razor. Yeah. But stuff like that, where it's like that that post then gets virality and those sort of things. And again, it just spurs the conversation. And maybe 85% of people really don't care about this thing. And there's, you know, a side of people that is furious about it. But 
Nike's stock price went way up and their sales went way up. So yeah. uh, clearly they're going to be on the right side of uh, history. I think that at the end of the day, to create something that's memorable, you you have to be a little controversial. Mm -hmm. like you're not you're not going to create something memorable that everyone loves equally. No, they're going to love it or hate it. Well, best guess what? They're going to remember it, and that's what they're really after, right? I mean, this clearly Gillette didn't set out to have their haters hate, but anybody that hates that ad and hates that message is kind of dead to me, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's this piece of if you want an ad that is not going to offend anyone. You want an ad that is going to take every single potential buyer, every segment, every persona, and your goal is not to piss anyone off, what you're going to get is Puppies. Puppies. Muddy. It's going to be completely unremarkable. And it's my, uh, my beige couch analogy of like, well, this is just going to be like a mediocre beige couch that it's not offensive. No one wants it. Well, no one's going to walk in and be like, your beige couch is amazing. Oh my God, like this is the greatest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah. And if you've got this like really aggressive green velvet couch, people are going to, some people will love it. Some people will hate it, but you're going to remember That's it. That's right. And it's the same thing with advertising. Of And if you know, this is who my target audience is. This is what they deeply care about. Okay, this is who I'm going to go after. Then, and then you can debate those messages and how to put it together in a way that's memorable, right? And so for a B2B audience, you know, it's one thing I think to stake your claim when you're selling like shoes or razors that for a lot of times are quite literally commoditized. When you're selling something like software where it's completely changing a business, where you are selling to, you know, I, I forget who wrote the article about this, but basically they described, I think Ben Horowitz wrote this, where who you're selling to is actually like how many people it affects, right? So it's like, if it's something like a HR solution, every single employee has a stake, quote unquote, is a stakeholder of this new thing. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to be affected by this. Therefore, you know, you're going to have to sell to what's going to be a, an account-based marketing scenario. When you're making ads for that, or not even ads, like other types of experiences, what should marketers be thinking about with those type of campaigns or experiences to be remarkable? I, I mean, I think you have to think about the outcome and the customer's point of view. What are the, what are the most important problems they're trying to solve that you fit to, right? That your that your solution is best suited to address, and then you can try go try to create something remarkable for them to to realize that and bring them into a discussion with you or your sales team. At the end of the day, if you're just talking about all the widgets and the buttons and the you know the levers and the colors and you're using all the jargon that everybody hates, mm -hmm. then you're just basically talking at them, you're not talking to them. And we have, at a, as B2B marketers, we have to think about who is that person and what will they respond to because I would respond to it. Because mm -hmm. we're all humans at the end of the day. If you can't find the empathy and understand the buyer, then you're probably missing. On the other hand, if you do, and you really understand exactly what their motive, what motivates them, the problems they're trying to solve, why those problems aren't solvable without you, then you can start to craft messages that are extraordinarily specific for them and engage them in a, in a way that others aren't. By the way, I found the article. It's uh, it's. If you just search uh, Ben Horowitz distribution, it's a phenomenal article on sales distribution and describes a bunch of different stuff. We'll link it up in the show notes. And one of the things you're talking about, Nate, is customer empathy and saying, 
I am not selling a series of widgets and features. I'm selling, even though I'm selling a B2B product, it is two humans, it's two people, it's four people. And what, what motivates them? What problems do they have? How do I care about them and deeply understand them? And work on it. how do I solve their problems and make their lives better, whether it's their, in this case, their business lives, which is a large part of all of our lives. How do I truly work on that? And that's when you actually are memorable as a as a B2B organization. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to when we worked together at Salesforce years ago, I had a job that was competitive, competitive intelligence and like doing marketing synthesis of the market to understand what was going on. The irony was that the only thing that we would never do was produce for our sales team a feature-to-feature comparison grid because you already lost. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, we would do it because otherwise somebody would get cranky. The thing that we coached teams on, the thing that we pushed into the kind of bloodstream of our sales organization was never a us versus them grid. Mm-mm. It was always a, they are trying to solve a social problem, a mobile problem, a, a cloud computing problem that only we can solve. For, stop talking about the competitor. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about uh, the military analogy, like only fight where you can win, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. fight from the high ground. Like yeah. don't don't go and like take a loss. Like every single one of your mar- your points should all, or every single one of your arguments should all point back to the things like, hey, that's the one thing that we do and nobody else does. Yep. You can only get that here. And if, if your positioning is set like that, then, and that's the thing that they want, then you're going to be the only one that they can buy. It is, and it's the... If you end up selling my future versus your future, this price versus this price, it's the wrong conversation to have versus this is the thing we pride ourselves on. This is the thing that we care the most at. This is our position. This is our perspective on the world. And this is what we believe in. And ideally, you've done your customer research and what you believe in is also the biggest problem the customer is trying to solve. So then it's not... Is your average send time going to be within two minutes or four minutes? <laughs> Fundamentally, who cares? What are you really trying to what, accomplish? What's your goal? What, are you what is to do? your goal? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I use this all the time, this metaphor. Sometimes it stands up, sometimes it doesn't. But if feature to feature comparisons are all that ever mattered, nobody would ever buy a coffee maker. Yeah. <laughs> because you can heat coffee up in a microwave. Like, what do you need a coffee maker for? I do yeah. heat micro coffee <laughs> on a regular basis a microwave does the same thing mm-hmm. like you just grind up the beans put them in a cup heat up the water so like you know getting into feature battles is not how you sell anything speaking no. of feature battles i know a feature battle that uh that lauren waged back in back in the day which was what kind of manny and petty does she want <laughs> <laughs> tell me about this we're talking about experiential marketing and you had an experience back in your earlier days where your whole team got treated to something special from one of your vendors. Yes. And I, I, part of me does miss the days when I used to control much larger budgets and work at larger companies. So going back to how do you build deeper relationships with your customers? Because ultimately, we all want to build deeper relationships with, with our customers. And this was at a point where, you know, not just myself, but several other people in the organization controlled large amounts of budget. So one of our suppliers obviously always wanted to meet with the people who controlled large amounts of budget. And this is going to sound terrible, and I apologize in advance for sounding pretentious what I'm about to say. Everyone would try to, you know, go and you go and schmooze the marketer. This was right after the Gartner report came out that CMOs have bigger budgets than CIOs, so everyone's trying to take you out. 
And I was like, I don't want to go to another dinner. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And one of our suppliers knew that I controlled a large budget and a handful of other people controlled a large budget. You could not get us to go out because we just were all tired of it. How do you know your buyer and what they care about? So they would end up doing our QBRs at Knob Hill Spa nice. because I would not show up for a dinner, but I'm not going to turn down a spa appointment. Yeah, right. And this was, they'd rent out Knob Hill Spa. We would have our QBR there. And it was a great thing for me to be able to do for my coworkers and say, hey, you know what? If you want to come for this spa appointment, come get a massage here. We're going to take a few hours off, spend the afternoon. It was a great give back for people on my team, a great thing I could bring coworkers to. But what this supplier did was get the people who controlled a significant amount of advertising dollars to come in, spend time with them, listen to their listen to their product's performance, listen to results, and get to know people on a deeper level. And it worked out really well that their product also did really, really well for us. But what I love about it and principles, and it's not that marketers can be bought because we can't because we're generally cranky <laughs> and judgmental, but it was how do you know your buyer? How do you know your audience? And how can you sort of play where they want to play and get to know them and then take that information back. And then they'd come back with better proposals, better information, and they were able to do their job in a more efficient way. And this is, would be, this was before account-based marketing was a thing. And this would have been sort of a great field event as part of an ABM program, because at the time we were one of the largest spenders in their product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I love that story for for two reasons. One, it shows what it takes to buy Lauren off. <laughs> the second thing is because we still talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like I, you told this story to me whenever it was, I don't know, it might've been a year ago, but it was worth mentioning years and years and years later, right? Mm -hmm. So it's memorable, it's remarkable. And I think that the next step of this is how do you take something like that and that experience and how do we add on, how do we layer on additional ABM? How do we layer on analytics? How do we layer on AI? How do we use all these sort of things? So to take that kind of thought experiment is you could have all of the people who are going to get these spot passes have to sign up on a certain form, wherever it is. They have to give an email address. They have to have all sorts of different stuff, you know, whatever that stuff is. Then you send them some type of marketing automation where it says, hey, six days before your spa day. Here's what here's some reviews for Knob Hill Spa. This is what you should be. Shout out to Knob Hill Spa. Knob Hill Spa is amazing. But you know, here are some things that you know people have found. You know, make sure you try the stones or whatever it is. Hot I don't know. <laughs> clearly, I know. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. I've been to a lot of spas. But you can take the next steps to this and figure out that you know we talked about the Brian Chesky eleven star experience. But you can figure out like what makes this thing really, really valuable for that person. You can ask them questions, you can pull them, and then you can take, you can leverage that information. You can also use tracking pixels and all sorts mm -hmm. of other stuff. And as, and as a side note, the our account manager at that company, I have bought from at three different companies that he's worked for, at three different companies that I've worked for. See, that's long tail. Yep. Because yep. he was an incredible account manager, spent a lot of time investing in the relationship and getting to know us. And if I take that concept a number of years ago, and to your point, apply it to marketing today. How do you take that, apply a more intelligent marketing program so it's not the, this is working because he happens to be a great sort of salesperson account manager, 
but this is now part of a strategic account program. And the reason this is happening is because we have data on these different things and how are we feeding this back into a really robust program? Yeah. I mean, nowadays, all that's measurable, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. If you did that today, you could, you could put together the nurture, you could send the email that says, we'd love to have you join us at the QBR at the Knobbill Spa. And then Lauren would hit a landing page and give her email yep. and she'd say, I'm RSVP yes, because I love spas. And they'd now be tracking you and know exactly what, oh, and you checked out the Knobbill Spa packages. They know that and the engagement history goes to your record. Like we know we have a product that does that. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but the point is like, if you did that today, you could connect all of those points of that journey, physical, digital, you know, the, the creative, the way it felt and looked, you'd feel like you were already at the spa, even though you hadn't shown up yet yep. in the email and in the landing page. Like you could just take a 211 today where you couldn't do that back then, really. Totally. And back then it was enter the people, enter the people I wanted to invite in a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And now if I think about it and the technology that exists, instead of, you know, this random person entering things in a spreadsheet and sending it over, it's fill out a form to invite these people. And one of the people that I'm inviting happens to be the person who runs marketing for this massive product line that mm -hmm. now the the supplier knows that that's happening. This is the profile of the person that's coming. It's great that Lauren got this person to come. We have their profile. What's going to be the custom follow-up for this person? Yeah, I mean, with with AI now, you could actually do all of those things. And then you could say, now show me all the people just like Lauren. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because I want to do the same thing to them. Yes. So like that's where we are now, right? Like it's it's to the point, or I could start with a dashboard that says, okay, show me all the people I've gotten through this program that have come to the spa and said yes. Show me all those that filled out the form but didn't show up. Mm -hmm. Run a, a revitalized campaign to those, and then show me all the people that look just like these. And I'm going to start this all over again. And so my, uh, I have a good friend who's CFO of a company that raised over four hundred million dollars, and they were taking out people to sporting events. They would like rent the box. And he was very uh, fiscally conservative <laughs> gentleman uh, on in the- uh, in, Really? A, in, a CFO yeah, who's right? fiscally conservative? And he's like, tell me who's on the list, right? Like mm -hmm. before we do them, before we buy the box, tell me who's on the list, right? And the yep. sales reps are like freaking out. And the marketer's like, I thought that would be whatever. But the idea that like you could take this old school mentality of like, I want to take a group of gals golfing, or I want to I want to get them to go to an A's game or whatever it is. And now you can take that and actually turn it into a campaign that's so robust that, you know, on a week before they go to the baseball game, you send them all gloves so yeah. they, because they're sitting in the bleachers yeah. and you don't even have to touch it, right? Mm -hmm. That's automated. It's, yeah. it's already automated. It ships, all that sort of stuff. For minimal amounts of investment, leveraging technology, you can now do really cool things and then you can track all of this and say, okay, we have, you know, 100 reps in the field that are doing stuff like this. There's, you know, by and large, this doesn't work at all, except this one rep is really good at it. Maybe they're just a really good rep or maybe this whole thing is, <laughs> is idiotic. We should stop spending experimental budget buying ease tickets. Yeah, we're, we're working on something where we're combining the direct and the, the physical with the artificial intelligence, artificial reality. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So, you know, like you said, Chad, direct mail pieces, sending a glove as part of an automated campaign doesn't cost that much money, right? Mm -hmm. But the experience changes the game. For those people who attend, they they're like they remember they sent me to a game, they sent me a glove, and it's that branded, and now I'm in the seat, and I got a front, and I, it's like now I remember them, right? It's Just that, like it's that little bit extra, mm -hmm. and the stuff that you did with your vendor at the Knob Hill Spa, you remember it years later because it was that experience, right? 
imagine you take this low cost tactic called direct mail, mm-hmm. combine that with a high tech tactic called artificial reality, and like I hold my phone up and show it to some direct mail piece and activates a demo or it activates a person that says, welcome, and we're glad you're checking out the Knob Hill Spa. Mm-hmm. My name's Charlie, and next time you're here, stop by and see me. Like That is something that you'll tell your friends about. You'd show your peers and, and coworkers because it's like, look at this thing, right? But we're working on things like that today on our team. Which which is amazing. And the, even like for me, the not, it was the Knob Hill experience, but what this is is it was a field marketing. It's a QBR combined with field marketing. And I happen to like spas, whether it's a ball game or a dinner that. or a lunch and lay, a lunch and learn or any of these things. And what I'm fascinated with right now, especially as you think about how to create memorable experiences, how we market is constantly evolving and people are looking for what is the authentic connection with a mm-hmm. brand yeah. and how are we taking the digital world and the analog world? How are we saying, okay, this is going to be a field marketing event. And you know what? Anyone can throw a field marketing event, you know, call, sorry for all the field marketers out there. I apologize <laughs> for that statement, but you know, I'm going to call, anyone can throw a bad field marketing event <laughs> and I'll call, make reservations here. Great. And you're done. But really what Nate's talking about and we're talking about is how do you go 10 times further, right. but do it in a way that's not super manual, that's mm-hmm. not really heavy and expensive, but you're creating what feels like a meaningful personalized experience. Yeah, and and turn that one, you know, the, the cost associated with it, dollars and time and energy, the lifting of the calories required, to have them play pay dividends for you over time, not just be a one and done thing, but like the event and then something happens, mm-hmm. right? And then I get the glove and then I get the, and I get, and then I get the, and then I see the, and then the ad shows up in Twitter and like connecting all that together is the science, but the art is like, what is it you're saying to me? Yeah. Because otherwise I'll just forget it, right? I, I, I want to do a post about, maybe we'll do this in marketing trends. Producer Ben, let's do this for marketing trends newsletter. I want to do something around like wedding gifts around how we've all been to a million weddings. It's like, when have you ever got that like little gift, whatever the gift is that they give you at the wedding that was actually memorable in any way? Like I remember my brother gave Jordan almonds at his because my buddy was like, is not the smartest guy in the world. And he's like, who's Jordan? Um, (laughs) But uh, Michael Jordan, it's his almonds. Uh, But, you know, I, I think that there's something there where it's like, those type of things like we need to reimagine what you give as wedding gifts and like people now do like donations or things like that of like we donated to a charity or like individual charities that you can follow but there's just so much room in all of these like mini experiences that people just take for granted and i think the best marketers over the next decade are going to be the people who can properly value other people's time Mm -hmm. because like you said I don't need to go out to another, no matter how fancy the dinner mm-hmm. is, like no matter, you know, the seared scallops and all that sort of stuff. It's like, I want to go spend time with my friends on Thursday night. Like I don't want to go eat, you know, seared scallops and get and get sold to a bunch of stuff. So I think that the best marketers are really going to be able to figure out how to blend these experiences that are that are memorable. Yeah. And they bringing it all together, like connecting it all to that, that steel thread throughout whatever it is you're saying or whatever it is you want your customers to find 
out about you, that's the fun part, right? That's actually the fun part of being a marketer today. Yeah. Because you can say, okay, what's the physical? What's the digital? What's the ad? Where are we going to put the ad? Should we buy a space, an out-of-home buy that ties it all together because it's an event-specific or mm -hmm. location-specific thing? Like, there's all these... We, I'm, I live in Atlanta now, and the, the Super Bowl is coming to Atlanta. First time it's been in Atlanta in the new stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And so our team's like, everybody's got... Eyes are all on Atlanta. Yep. Mm -hmm. So is there something we should be doing to take advantage of the fact that the world is looking at our city and we are living and working in that city? You know, now connect that to something bigger that's not just that one moment in time, million dollars for two seconds ad mm -hmm. and and make it bigger than that. And that's that's actually what I love about the Gillette ad. It's what you said earlier, Lauren. It's not just about selling razors. It's yep. about changing the world and starting with the perspective of their customer. Yeah, and and the thing that nobody wants to do is like, rifling through thousands of things or doing pattern recognition or all this sort of stuff that AI mm -hmm. is really good at. Right. The things that we can use the robots to do, which they're much better than humans at, is like the boring, monotonous, stupid parts and we can focus on the fun, creative parts. Yeah, exactly. It's funny that you said th it that way. A number of years ago, when you couldn't have an artificial intelligence machine learning layer of technology rifle through stuff for you, Amazon had this great service. They still have it, I think. It's called the Mechanical Turk. Have you guys heard of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you like basically for whatever dollars you want to say, you give somebody a task. It's almost like Amazon's version of TaskRabbit, but for high-tech skills. Mm. And I literally would send spreadsheets to the Mechanical Turk, take out proprietary data and ask for firmographic information. So like mm -hmm. with this domain, what kind of company are they? What industry are they in? We were trying to do an ideal customer profile yep. program. And like, you know, this guy took a week, got it done, went through 3,000 records, gave it back to me 85% of the way complete. Mm -hmm. It was way better than we had. It cost 300 bucks. Yeah. Now I click a button and I have all that data. Yep. yep. And it costs nothing or it's part of the package, right? So like, it's just the world's changing so fast. It's crazy. And there's no excuse for not doing it. It's exactly where it is. And it's one of the things I love about being a marketer is... The world is changing so quickly. How people are buying, how people are selling, how we need to market is constantly evolving, constantly changing. And the things that used to be hard are now easy. So now how do we evolve and what do we do with that information? All right, let's switch gears into some storytelling, story time. Story time. I like story time. Let's get into it. What was one of the seminal bonding moments back in the day, early days, Salesforce stuff, crazy crazy town where both of you are kind of like, wow, this is this is crazy, but is memorable many years later. I got to go with Oracle Open World. Ah, uh, that's mine too. I forget what year that was, 2011 maybe? I think might have been 2011. Everyone has those moments in their career that when you're going through them, you don't realize mm -hmm. how impactful, how much you'll remember it. And the fact that you'll look back and go, what did we just do? How did we pull this off? Yeah. It was Oracle Open World 2011. I'm 97% sure that's the year. We were sponsors. Salesforce sponsored Oracle Open World, which always surprised people. That's it. That is surprising. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, there's our audience. Like, yeah. there's a bunch of our customers that that use Oracle and use Salesforce. And for a long time, our approach was kind of best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to one or the other. It's not a binary answer. Yeah. yeah. But we had this keynote opportunity for our CEO, Mark Benioff, and uh, we got a notification that they had moved the time of his keynote and basically canceled it. And so we, I think it was 6 p.m., 7 p.m.? Maybe it was 5. Yeah, the night before the, the night keynote. The night before. Yeah. And, and so we like, 
Go ahead, Lauren. And this is a multi-million dollar sponsorship. Mm-hmm. This is a very big deal. And the night before, let's call it at 5 p.m., the woman who ran global events gets an email that's like, quick update, your keynote tomorrow morning no longer exists. Yeah, for our CEO. For our CEO. <laughs> and at at most companies, it's like, I'm going to write an angry letter about this mm-hmm. and I'm going to call them and I'm going to be very upset. They can't do that to they us. They can't do that to yeah. us. And that's, you know, the normal response. In Salesforce fashion, that is not our response. Uh-huh. We took it to 11. Uh, <laughs> it was We activated everyone like instantaneously around a message, which was the cloud must go on. And that was 2011, so yeah. it's been eight, nine years now or something. And we literally like put up poster boards and got a bunch of sales development reps, SDRs, like inside sales folks to join us to kind of do a march outside of the campus the next morning at 7 a.m. and we moved the keynote across the street to the St. Regis Hotel, use social channels to tell everyone Mark's keynote yep. must go on and he'll be across the street at St. Regis. Which is like the uh, audacity the audacity of the flex to say, I'm still going to do the talk. We're just going to rent out yeah. the place across the street is pretty ridiculous <laughs> in and of itself. How do you even yeah. rent a place for tomorrow? Well, what ended up, one of the things that ended up happening is Mark goes and tweets, the cloud must go on, the keynote is still happening tomorrow. And everyone's like, we got to find a place to do this thing. Okay. So you, you, and you call everyone, mm-hmm. every restaurant, every place, everyone that exists in that area. Money solves problems. Somebody figure this out. Well, and, and keeping in mind that everything around Moscone was locked up because of their oh, of conference, right? Yeah. So their conference. So oh, in every building, I mean, if for those of you who've been to Dreamforce or any type of conference, like every building already has like months and months. Everything totally committed for months. Yeah. yeah. And in the, arrogance is the wrong word because it has a negative connotation, in the just sheer force of will chutzpah. of like chutzpah. Yes, the, that's good. We are making this happen. I have said it, so it is happening. And the thing I love about Mark Benioff is he's like, we are going to do this. And every single person in marketing goes, yep, got it, on it, run. I, I think it's just what's memorable for me and what I loved about that, first of all, it was a lot of work in about seven hours. Yeah. Like, uh, but the best part to me was like recognizing the opportunity. Yeah. Because yes. their conference had, you know, what, 30,000 people. I think that might even been like 50,000 yeah, people. They were people. the conference at the time. All our ideal customers, mm-hmm. like, you know, very much in our wheelhouse. If you're trying to find the fit for the solution you have to offer, they are all there mm-hmm. in our backyard here in San Francisco. To see that as an opportunity, not as a kind of Lauren's previous point around like, we should send an angry letter. They can't do this to us. It was like, hold on, maybe we can do something totally different. Looking across back now and remembering us being outside marching with signs that said this, it was a, it looked like a Shea, what's that poster of like a, a revolutionary? Yes. Like Che Guevara. Like a Guevara. Yes. Yep. And it was Mark's profile. No way. And it said, the yes. cloud must go on. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a, a, a picture of it. I saved it in my, like uh, forever. And we had people like literally marching. And we, we protested the conference and- As a sponsor. As a sponsor. And <laughs> when some people- I remember externally that weren't involved and they're like, 
that wasn't real. How would they have pulled that off so quickly? And you're saying they're going, actually, no. Our chief creative officer literally designed the poster. We found an overnight Kinko's. Rand Kinko's. To print everything. And we were like sticking the the <laughs> wood handles wood handles in poster boards, yeah. lining people up. We happened to have umbrellas with clouds in it. Oh, were- I forgot about that part. We get in the street. It was raining. So we had umbrellas, you know, stuck in some swag closet. We grabbed them all and took them down and hand them out and they in were our all... protest to people that walked by because it was raining. It was like, here, take and an umbrella. And all of the umbrellas were the umbrellas with the clouds Cloud. in the sky. Oh, so it was so perfect. Yeah. Everyone's in like Salesforce blue t-shirts. And at the same time, we're doing all of this. And to Nate's point, when you see things as an opportunity, there's complete and total chaos happening. And I was running digital at the time. And I remember sitting there going, oh, we can do this. It was fun. And for our SEM, everything, anytime someone talked about Oracle Open World, and to be clear, I had zero budget for this, zero, no one told me or anyone on my team to do this. There was no money allocated for this. But the idea was, this is an opportunity. We can solve these pieces later. We can't solve losing this opportunity. Yep. So everywhere Oracle Open World was digitally, we were like, oh, we're going to be there. Cloud must go on. Cloud must go on. Can someone build me a super fast digital ad? Great. Okay. I'll just do this in Photoshop. It's fine. And I remember printing out our ads, walking over to the PR section of the floor, finding anyone who was still in the office that can approve what I wrote and was like, hey, here's a literally a printed piece of paper with our ads. Can you sign this to just tell me I'm allowed to say this? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's officially literally signed off. Great. We're going to go turn on display advertising targeted every single keyword that talks about Oracle and YouTube and SEM and Twitter and Facebook. Anywhere Oracle Open World is going to be, we're going to push the hell out of this because this is the time to do it. This is the time to ask forgiveness. Yeah, right, exactly. And not say, well, I'm gonna, you know, wait, get permission from everybody. And it's, and then we ended up getting half of the social media traffic and all of the press postings that were talking about Oracle Open World actually talked about us. That was the thing that I found shocking was that we kind of hijacked their their conference Mm -hmm. for for the day. And it wasn't because we wanted to, we wanted to do a keynote at you know Mus- whatever Moscone West or something, mm. but that wasn't going to happen. So when we what we did instead was basically it was like a gift, yep, that we took total advantage of and then ultimately hijacked their conference. And the thing is, like back then too, like Twitter is still super early days, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the amount of traffic. Like now they have like all the trending stuff, like mm-hmm. trending in this area, and like all these sort of things that probably didn't exist back then. So it's like literally if you're on, if like all these power users of Twitter like that are on there that are seeing hashtag whatever the hashtag was, open world or whatever. O-O-W-11. O-O-W, yeah. It's seared in my brain forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what's funny is like, I feel like people do this sort of stuff now. It's like premeditated, right? That They'll like buy the billboards around or, or the blimp. Yeah. So we we shot about, I don't even know how many hours of video this year at Dreamforce doing a bunch of, of different videos. And we have like all this like really cool footage from Salesforce Tower of Dreamforce and of all this stuff. And our like lead creative who's working on all the projects was like, man, it's so great. I got this blimp cruising around. I was like, 
dude, that's the blimp that was like said some stupid thing. It was some competitor or whatever that was trying to like protest Dreamforce by flying a blimp around or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we can't use any of that footage. That uh, looks ridiculous. Well, um, you, you you know, you see like the I forget what happened the other day and the, where the president bought the hamburgers and cheeseburgers oh, yeah, for the yeah. Clemson, right? Uh, and then Burger King and like yeah. got you know like taking advantage of an opportunity is when you see one is is what that really is i mean that blimp situation was not a great one because they nobody was paying attention and it was like lost in mm -hmm. in the noise of everything else is really happening right? and it's again it's like it's so premeditated that mm -hmm. it's like right yeah it's like if it's not super clever or like interesting in some way or added yeah. value you just the person's like eh. it's just another gimmick it's yeah. another gimmick and it mm -hmm. feels disingenuous right exactly and one of the things I, I we talked about this on a another episode i think it was the one with vanessa we talked about how important it is to be authentic and what consumers and buyers are craving right now is authenticity mm -hmm. more than anything else. And when you've got this premeditated, not super clever blimp or, what, or whatever the equivalent is, it doesn't land that well. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's the opposite of the Gillette ad. Yeah. You know, I yeah. keep coming back to Gillette, but like, what, what is it about that is, is like you said earlier, it's connecting to a purpose that's bigger than the message itself or the brand itself. And I think we, we, do a good job of that, talking about using that business is the greatest platform for change yeah. Yeah. Um, and having an impact on our communities that we live and work in beyond just doing well by our shareholders. And I, that's one of the reasons I work here. But we walk and talk the talk and the walk or what's that? I don't know how that goes. Walk the talk or something. We do what we say we're going to do. Yeah. And so even that cancellation back then, it, we genuinely believe that people needed to hear what Mark had to say. That's why we sponsored the conference. Yep. Totally. It wasn't like, well, he'll just go over there and wave his hands at a bunch of stuff. We had something we needed to tell people about what we were trying to do in this space. And we felt like it was important. And so we did it. Yep. It was a lot of work, it. but it was fun. Let's get into lightning round. I love the lightning round. I love the lightning round. Let's get crazy. Number one. Oh, you see, you know all these questions because you've listened uh, to so many episodes. Okay. We'll have to switch it up on the fly. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to do different questions. Okay. I'll also do different questions, but the first question will be the same question. What's your favorite founder story? Actually, the Ben Horowitz, the hard thing about hard things, his founder story in that book about, uh, and I forget the name of, now the name of the company is totally escaping me, but the, the grind that he went through to turn that around at the time that he turned it around and then writing about it and sharing the authentic story. It was how hard it was and how many painful decisions you had to make. And then the lessons that came out of that, I thought, I thought it was amazing. It's unbelievable. It's that such book a good is, book. It's like, I've read it. I, every time I start to doubt something, I reread that book. It's I, so good. I think that is good advice for everyone that's listening yeah. is the- Hard thing about hard things. Hard thing about hard things. If you want to be a leader, not going to be easy, mm -hmm. but it's probably not going to be as bad as what Ben Horowitz went through. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, it was pretty bad. And he lost his hair. Yeah. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. We love people of all hair types. All right. What is your favorite app on your phone? It's called Task, the new Google app called mm. Task. So the latest Gmail client has this like Task and Keep and next to your calendar. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's an app for Task and you can create task lists that have different names and like subtasks. It's actually extremely useful because it's syncing all the time with my computer and I have tasks open on my, in my Gmail all the time. And then I just have it on my phone everywhere I go. So I can constantly look at my to-do list and the list of my teams, special projects. I love it. What is the favorite book you've read recently? 
the actually the book by Christopher Lockheed called Play Play Bigger. Oh, it's oh. so good. I really like that book. I just finished that one. And the one I read right before that was the other one that was referenced in one of the podcasts, I think, which was, uh, it was about negotiating. Never split the difference. Yes. I oh, love yeah. that book. That was like, if you're negotiating anything, contracts as a buyer or a seller, you should read that book. So I took, when I was at West Point, I had, we had this like ridiculously cool negotiations class called Negotiations for Leaders, where you do like mix of like business negotiations and then like military negotiations. And one of our teachers, Professor Weiss, he's now president of a, of a school, is awesome guy, but he learned under the guy who wrote Getting to Yes. And so he had all these, so you do these like, like different role plays and all these sort of stuff. And he's like, yeah, I've managed negotiations, like, you know, big like mergers and acquisitions and this and like Israel, Palestine. And we're, and we're like, wait, hold on. <laughs> Israel, Palestine. That's like a thousand year, a couple thousand yeah. year negotiation. I feel like that's, that was a tough one. Like go back to that. But all the negotiation stuff, when you read, you know, I think you, we always say like every everything in life is marketing or everything in life is sales or like everything in life is negotiation. But negotiation legitimately is, it's like one of the most important skills that it's, people don't it's ever It's such a cross-functional skill. And mm -hmm. it, you actually, I think I, I really appreciate you saying it's a skill. You have to learn how to do it. Yeah. It does not come naturally for people. No, because I mean, there's so many, we, we talk about it. This is like one of those. And if you're a marketer or salesperson that's listening to this show, for sure, go read Getting to Yes as well, because it's a great book. But there is like a playbook that pretty much boils down to the fact that the most prepared person wins the negotiation. Yep. Like you have to be ridiculously prepared. And a lot of people don't ever prioritize their concessions. And it's like you can concede and you don't know what the other person cares about, right? So it's just like having empathy as a marketer mm -hmm. or a salesperson or whatever it is. You need to know what matters to those people yeah. and prioritize your concessions according to like what matters most to them so that you're giving things them things that they want, yeah. right? And yeah, most never people just don't care. Yeah, exactly. And never split the difference. He talks about that exactly, about like kind of a lot of times negotiation comes down to being willing to give something, but not necessarily telling someone what you're willing to give. And then they just offer it and you're like, well, I, was, I could have given a whole lot more than that. Yeah, I never use the word compromise yeah. um, in like relationships or anything like that because compromise is the thing that ruins everything. Like compromise, you should never compromise. Mm -hmm. Compromise is inherently taking the pie and making it smaller. You're saying like we're just both going to be right. sort of unhappy, yeah. Rather than figuring out a way to like add value to the situation, pie is always bigger. Growth mindset, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> this I always do this every lightning round. Favorite ad that you've seen recently, other than Gillette? I oh, talked about that a bunch. Yeah, that was my definitely my favorite. Favorite ad that I've seen recently. I think I mentioned this brand earlier. I really like Carvana, and I don't know if that's out here in the Bay Area. It's in Atlanta for sure because I, I bought a car on Carvana. Yeah, yeah. Tell this is really interesting. We talked about this before before the show, but this is super fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the, basically, it's like a whole new way of buying a car. They've depositioned the entire experience, and their ads are great on TV. You may have seen them. It depends on I think where where you are. Yeah, I for market. sure have. Yeah. Uh, but they talk about picking up your car from a car dispenser, like a car, you know, like a like a Coca Cola. Yeah, it's like that's so cool. I don't know why that just sticks for me, and it probably doesn't hurt that I I used the service and I found it absolutely extraordinary. So did you? You literally picked every part of the car on fifteen like, minutes. That's crazy. every every feature. I didn't know what kind of car I wanted. I just wanted something that I could commute in, and I knew I wanted to have a certain mileage, like low low mileage. I didn't want to drive a clunker and worry mm -hmm. about like tires falling off or something. I knew I had a limit on how much I wanted to pay. I knew I had four doors, not two doors, like da 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 da. 
And then it's like, here, here's the 27 cars that meet that. And when you browse them, that's the actual car. It's not a stock photo of the car like the one. They like zoom in and do studio shots of it and they show you the dings and the doors and like oh, this minor scratches. Oh, it was used? Yeah, it's all used. Whoa, I thought this was new cars. No, That's crazy. But I mean, maybe they're offering new cars. They, they continue to roll out upgrades to it, but clearly you don't, you don't buy a car. really today. fascinating. Yeah. Because new cars, you know, like with the new Tesla, like you mm -hmm. get the new Tesla dropped off. Um, you know, I've had four or five or six dropped off to my... No, I'm yeah. um, <laughs> it's on my seventh one. Just, yeah. yeah. I just... Each year. One for I, each day. Yeah. Um, kind of have different colors. I don't even know if yeah. I have seven colors. But yeah, like with the new Teslas, like, you know, same sort of thing. It's like they drop it off and then you can like, you know, return it or whatever. Yeah. But it's a new car, right? Yeah. So... No, this is... They... they It's top to bottom. Like they check it. It's, they I don't think they offer it if it was like broken or something. Yeah. But then you have seven days to return it. I spoke to no person. It took 15 minutes. They delivered the car to my house on this like what looked like a a branded sled, which was kind of also cool. It was like a whole experience was just different. And then five days later, this lady calls and says, "Hi, we just want to make sure you you're good because you have two days left before you you're stuck with it." That's cool. I love that. I love the proactive the proactive follow up on yeah. it too. Of like, hey, you're five days in, just checking in. Yeah. Where are you? I would never have done it if it wasn't for that. But knowing that you had seven days. I, was like, I took it to a dealership, make sure there's nothing, you know, main, was there something really wrong with it? They mm -hmm. did the, like, a, you know, what is it, $40? They'll do the full check of yeah. your car. And this guy's like, no, it's got all its maintenance and everything's good. And I'm like, well. Well, Carvana, if you're listening and you want to send us a car, we'll send it to Emily. She can have the car. But it's uh, <laughs> uh, cool ads too. Really cool ads. All right. Any other final things? Any other things? Uh, most The thing you are most excited about in marketing today? I think the... The convergence of B2B and B2C marketing tactics powered by analytics, artificial intelligence, and like account-based marketing and how to think about that, especially on the B2B side. There's just the technology's gotten to a place where now you can do so many things and and everything is measurable. Mm -hmm. I think that's all good. I think the, the thing for we all have to be wary of is metrics like by death, death by metrics. Mm -hmm. Totally. Because, because everything's measurable doesn't mean you should measure everything. Yes. And, and as we all know, as marketers, marketing is a long game. It's not a short game. So measuring monthly or quarterly is like kind of looking in the rearview mirror all the time. Yeah. And that, that I think is not good. But the technology is to a place now where it's just our jobs are way more exciting. Completely agree. Agreed. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thank you for having me. It's fun. Thank you. Yeah. Good um, to see you, Lauren. You too. Come back soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, 
and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.